when I began um, planning on just doing one book in one week, um, there was one book that I was going to that I've been that I was, and I'm still trying to figure out how I was going to present this one book to you. Um, most of you probably haven't read it. Most of us have probably never. I know I've never been in a message in a church service where anybody ever covered this book. And um, so um, it's been interesting for me to study through, think my way through um, this book. Knowing when I come to this book, I'm living in a society um, where most people view relationships, they act like they're in middle school. I remember. I've just been doing some reminiscing. I remember a time um, as a kid, fifth grade, there was a certain girl that I liked, and I hoped that she would just look my way. And then, you know, every once in a while, if you could kind of just bump into her in the hallway, that was like really kind of cool because, you know, she bumped your shoulder and you got these all warm, fuzzy feelings in your stomach. And then I remember uh, getting a little bit older and I'm in middle school now and I'm starting to figure out that girls don't have bugs. And I'm starting to figure out I kind of like these this concept of a girl, and they're getting prettier. And I'm kind of like, you know, I think I should probably spend some more time around these girls. This is kind of a good deal. But I struggled to figure out how I was going to go about that. You know, in middle school, you don't have a whole lot of wisdom. I mean, you think you're, you know, you got it all figured out. And, you know, you just walk up to them and say, hey, will you go with me or write them a note back in those days and circle yes or no? And, hey, this is the way it works, man. We're off and going. This is a good deal here. And I remember, you know, sending notes and asking girls, will you go with me? And I'm thinking, well, I'm in middle school. Where am I going to go? I mean, I'm going to walk down the hallway, or I mean, I got to go to a class. They're going to go to another class. We're not, we're not going anywhere. But, man, I, I, man, I got a girlfriend. She's, we're going together, and um, we're going to school together. That's about all we're going. And then, um, and so as I realize, as I come to this topic that I want to share with you this morning, it's kind of interesting to me that we are living in America, but there's, in my thought process, there's more people involved in marriages today that act like they're middle school students than ever before. We've got resource after resource. You can go online and watch all kinds of different things, but it's amazing what goes on in our society. So as I started to think my way through this, I'm, I just want you to know if you're still trying to figure it out, um, I'm not giving you any hints yet. But when you get to this book, I am going to give the G-rated version of this book. And so uh, as you go there, I want to talk about you know re- some relationship things. And I want us to talk about relationships so that we're no longer acting like we're in middle school. It's fun for me as I'm involved, like I'll go to lunch today or different places, and I'm always watching couples. And you can figure out which ones are kind of like newlyweds or newly married or in the first five years of their marriage because they're actually looking at each other. They're actually enjoying conversation, and they might just maybe, still in the five years, they might just slip their hand across the table and hold hands while they're sitting there. But more and more, I'm finding couples that look like this. They've got a little time invested in it, and they're not really so interested in their spouse. And I realize that we're living in a society where you're all are busy, and you've got great job titles that you have, 
but you don't always need your cell phone. And what's interesting to me as I watch this scenario, it's, it's the, the couples I think are really funny are the, the couples that are older than me holding their phone, cell phones and watching, you know, watching their cell phone at lunch you know, when they're sitting across the table from supposedly somebody that they're in love with. And so I, I just want to go this morning as we talk about um, relationships, I want to go to the book of Song of Solomon. And all of those, you, those of you that have parents, don't panic. I'm not going to scare anybody this morning. And, um, but I want to talk about the Song of Solomon, maybe in, from this perspective, what it means for one man and one woman for a lifetime. What does it look like to have a relationship that, that's a relationship that's going to last for a lifetime? What does it look like when you're still married 25 years and you still like sitting close to each other? What does that look like? I told the first hour crowd, I'm thinking about selling my vehicle because it has a center console. I don't like center consoles. That means she sits over there and I sit over there. I don't like that. I like when we had this old car, it was a Buick Regal, there was no center console, and she sat right next to me. That was nice. I like that. I want that relationship that when we first met 20-some years ago, I still want to be excited about my relationship. I don't want to believe the lie of the world where the world says to me, hey, just go there, it'll be a little bit better. Oh, you'll have a lot of fun. Oh, this, is, this, this will be what it's like. Oh, just make yourself happy. That's the lie of the world. I want to be involved in a relationship for lastings for a lifetime that we're still holding hands when we're 75 years of age. That we're walking down the mall and we're still both grabbing for one another hand, each other's hand. We have this little saying if we're grabbing, you know, I'll, like, I'll kind of like bump her hand. She's like, just grab it. I'm like, well, then I'll grab it. She's that's too hard. I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do? You know, and now we're at the point when you're, you're married long enough, there's certain ways you're allowed to hold hands and you can't hold hands. Uh, those of you who don't know that yet, wait till you're married 20 plus years. There's certain ways you do that. And there's certain ways that she likes to hold hands that I don't like to hold hands. And the ways that I like it that she doesn't like it, but we always end up doing it like that. That work in your marriage? Yeah, you do it that way. That's better that you hold hands longer. And so I want that relationship to continue on. So if I look at the book of Song of Solomon, I like just to break it down this morning in two ways. Uh, looking through Wilkinson and Boa, um, just two, two, two concepts, beginning of love and the broadening of love. As you go through the book of Song of Solomon, you're going to see Solomon. Why God allowed Solomon to write this book, be the author, I have no idea. A thousand wives, you think he would have no idea, but maybe he has all the best ideas saying, look, I tried a thousand different ways. It didn't work, so I'm going to write you a book and show you how to do this thing. I don't know. But it's a great opportunity for you and I to actually gather in a society that's filled with lies and say, hey, hold on a second, what does God call from us? What does this look like? I know you have Ephesians chapter 5, but I don't think a lot of us spend time in Ephesians chapter 5. Oh, you can go look in Colossians. The creator of all says, hey, in Colossians around chapter 3, hey, this is, how, this is what it looks like, but I don't know if we're willing to do that. So if you want to have somebody that, that you're going to love 25, 30, 45 years later, you need to think about it now. You need to think about the book of Song of Solomon and say, you know what, Solomon, give me some wisdom in this process. What does this look like? I want to be best friends with her for the rest of my life. As I look at the book of Song of Solomon, there's a lot of different things that you will see in there. Obviously, there's a lot of things that I'm not going to talk about uh, in a church service. There's attraction, there's desire, there's companionship, there's pleasure, there's union, there's separation, there's faithfulness, and there's praise. 
as I go through the book of Song of Solomon, take your Bible and go to Song of Solomon, or if you're say Song of Psalms, it's okay, uh, in chapter 1. And I want you to just be, look at the beginning of love. And obviously, I'm not going to go through, I can't go through the whole points of an outline. But as I was looking at Wilkinson and Bo, they said, hey, here's beginning of love and then falling in love. And it's interesting, there's, in, in our society, we're more, we're more excited about the falling in love process. Oh, well, he just, he just makes my you know, stomach all excited. And I just get these little quiverlies inside. So you know, I know I must love them. But that's, that's the way God made us, to fall in love. And as I look through the book of Song of Solomon, I think about Solomon. If you look at verse 6, you find this woman who's a worker. You find this woman that is stuck out in the vineyard, taking care of the vineyard. Look in verse 6. Do not stare at me because I'm dark. Because I'm darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me, and they made me take care of the vineyard. My own vineyard I've neglected. Tell me, you whom I love, where you gaze your flocks, and where you rest on your sheep at midday, why should, I be, why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? So as you start out, you see this woman that Solomon is interested in. She must be a beautiful woman, but it's interesting to me, the first thing that she says is, hey, I need to apologize to you, I've got dark skin. She's already aware of her outside appearance, what she looks like on the outside. She's concerned about that as this, as this guy that possibly could be the one for her. She's worried about the outside. I just want to say to you this morning, ladies, it's not part of my outline. God made you, and you are beautiful. And don't worry so much about the outside. Worry about the inside. Because you can get, in our society, you can get the outside to look however you want to. But that doesn't make a woman. What makes a woman is to remind yourself that you have been fearfully and wonderfully made by God. He designed you. And so if you don't fit the world's design or their status quo, don't worry about it. Go on with life. Be the woman that God has made you. As you remember the time that you fell in love, I just want to say to you, be a worker. It wasn't right for her to be in the vineyard. She couldn't take care of her own vineyard, but she was a worker. As I think about our society, There's a little phrase, some of you will get this and some of you won't. There's not a whole lot of sugar daddies out there, so be a worker. There's not a whole lot of people that are going to pick up the tab for you, so be a worker. As you go through and you keep on um, this, this concept, be careful what you show. You're going to get a chance to see in just a minute this woman is concerned about her outward her outwardness, and Solomon's going to comment back to her. But before we get there, I just want you to say to you, be careful in what you show, men. It's amazing to me as I watch and, and as I remember, um, I remember a day when I was at the Word Life Bible Institute, I was in the gym, and I was playing, I think I was playing basketball or kickball, there was a kid there, and there's this cheerleader that walked right by me, and she was beautiful, but she had a boyfriend. Boyfriend was a punk. I didn't like him, but she had a boyfriend. But I'll never forget the day when that girl walked by me. And so I said, you know, Lord, that, she's just too good for me. There's just no way I'll get that girl. And so I just kind of went on my life, a word of life, and I'd studied, and 
I finished my first year and I started my second year, and I had a friend at the beginning of the second year, and, and so at the end of uh, Christmas break, my friend and I, we broke up, and so I was going on, I was focused to be a war life missionary going to South Africa, and, and at that point in my life, I had a lot of girls that wanted to be, become my friend. I didn't really want another girl that wanted to be my friend. I wanted a wife. And so I finally purposed in my heart, I said, you know what, God, I give up. I'm going to go to Africa all by myself. Forget this whole woman concept. I'm out of here. I'm going to Africa. So I get down to, to I get back to Scroon Lake, and I'm in the dining room, and this girl that I saw a year ago, this beautiful girl, comes into the dining room. And I just said to her, hey, by the way, how are you and Mark doing? Well, we broke up. I'm like, okay. He was a loser anyway. He needed to go on his way. He, would, he didn't deserve her. So, um, so I just kept on going with life and, and didn't really think any more about it. We didn't get a chance to see each other anymore until, until around Valentine's Day. And my best friend, Mike Snedeker, uh, was dating Beth, who, who Susan was, was traveling with. And so Mike came to me and says, hey, I want to go on a date. Well, we're life's policy is you have to have a third, pol- or a third person. So I was like, so I'm like, okay, well, what are we going to do, Mike? He's like, well, we're all going to go to the mall. So it's Mike and Beth, Susan, Todd, and Jimmy Bars. We're going to the mall over, um, over by Hudson. Is, <laughs> there ain't much of a mall over there. But anyway, we end up at the mall. Next thing I know, Mike and Beth are gone. Susan Bankston, Todd Patterson, and Jimmy Bars are standing in the middle of the mall. Now what are we going to do? Well, I fell in love with a girl. And I'm thinking, this is crazy. And so I start talking to her. She starts talking to me. We go back to Word of Life. We have no idea to this day where Mike and Beth went. I've told you all that before. We go back to Word of Life, Florida. We're out on the basketball hoop shooting baskets. She can shoot. I'm enjoying that. I'm sure she beat me in pig a couple different times. We go play ping pong. We're talking ministry. We're talking all this stuff. And, and so I'm like, I'm starting to get to know who this person is. And so what was interesting was, as I started to think my way through this process, I said, God, if if this is an opportunity for me, I want to take care of this person. God, if, and at this point, I wasn't thinking about getting married, but I love I loved to watch my dad care for my mom. And I've got a great picture of a marriage because of my, how my dad cared for my mom. So I started asking some questions. God, what's going on with Susan? Show me, what, show me about this Susan. I want to know about her. I mean, I figured out the beautiful part pretty quick but I want to know about the character part. And what was fascinating was she was asking the same questions about me to other people. Hey, who is this guy? I want to know about this guy. Because what's interesting is, guys, we can show a good front for six months or even a year or even maybe a little bit longer. But then when we put a ring on our finger, it doesn't stop then, guys. It just begins. It's just the beginning. She's not your possession. She's your blessing. She's not your trophy that you just get to paint around whenever you want to. It's your opportunity to care for her for the rest of your life. And so it's fascinating to me how easy it is to show something for six months or for a year. And ladies, the same for you. Remember what you used to say to him when you first met him? Remember the notes that you might be used to write him? How you used to tell him that he was good looking? How you like that shirt? How you like this? When was the last time, ladies, we've done that to our man? As we 
um, Ren, we're, we got up this morning, and, and I, I love to wear um, dry fit shirts, and I have a pair of shorts on. We went somewhere last night, and she just said to me, hey, those, those look really good on you. And so when we go to visit, you know, Rachel on vacation, I think you should wear that outfit. You better believe that those shorts and that shirt are going to be in my bag on New York. Because she said something to me about those. I might just wear them the rest of my life. Those, just those. <laughs> but it's interesting, as you look at Song of Solomon, this lady's a worker. She's demonstrating that. She's showing that. And then as you go along and you read what Solomon's going to say back to her, I just want to say to us as men and women, your words do matter. They do. And I don't understand. I'm going to read you some verses, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to act like I have any idea what Solomon's understanding here. I don't like horses the way Solomon likes horses. I'm not a horse lover. So obviously when I write my wife a note, I'm not going to say these words. But if you go down to to chapter 1 and verse 9, I like you, my darling, to a mare harnessed to one of the chariots of Pharaoh. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewelry. I'm sure that's not going to happen in our house. I'm not a horse lover. I don't understand horses. I've never had a horse to a chariot. But you know what I've learned? She still wants me to tell her that she's beautiful. She still wants me when I drop her off at places to roll down my window and whistle at her. I'm not a very good whistler. But that's what she longs in her heart. And what's interesting is I've never heard her say that. But God gave me this little gift. And when she was about three or four, she wore about 25 outfits in 30 minutes. Every outfit ended up standing in front of a mirror. And I kept trying to figure out what in the world is wrong with this kid? I mean, we were boys. We were just blowing things up and knocking things over, and you know, we didn't do any of that stuff. Why are you standing in front? I mean, I never asked Rachel this, but I'm asking Rachel in my heart, why are you standing in front of the mirror? Because I want to know that I'm beautiful, Dad. I mean, she didn't tell me that at three. You know what's funny is? If we would get Rachel's phone right now, I can almost guarantee the last five years of her life has been characterized what she wore on a Sunday morning in her phone. Now, why does she do that? She's vain. That's my opinion. No. Because she's a woman. She wants to be beautiful. But you know what I found interesting? The things that I think she looks beautiful in, if we go shopping with her, she never picks my outfit. It's like, Dad, that's old. You're not, Dad, that's old people stuff. Okay, whatever. I think you'd look beautiful. No, it's old. And then what she picked, I don't like. And then you know what she'll say back to me? Dad, it's not the material. It's the person wearing the dress. Oh. <laughs> like, I'm the one to know that, right? And so I just want to say to us, obviously not these words, but words do matter. I also want to say to us as you look through the book, Song of Solomon, I want you to go to chapter 2 with me. And I want you to pick it up at verse 15. And I realize when you read chapter 2 and verse 15, you're going to say, what in the world? What's the big deal about foxes? Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyard. Our vineyards that are in bloom. 
You're saying, what in the world? Well, see, back then, this lady and, and Solomon were going to have to make a choice to guard their vineyard. And what they would see in their day and age is if there's a group of little foxes come in, they would destroy a vineyard. Started out as something that's small, and they would totally destroy a bit the vineyard. The word picture is, as you think about marriages, little problems that creep in to a relationship can destroy sweetness. The little things. The little problems that if we allow them to creep in, if we don't catch those little foxes, then they will destroy sweetness. Examples of little foxes, as I was looking through Dr. David Jeremiah's information, examples would be uncontrolled desires that drive wedges of guilt and mistrust between couples. Mistrust and jealousy that strains or breaks the band of love. Selfishness and pride that refuses to acknowledge wrong and fault one another. An unforgetting, unforgiving attitude that will not accept an apology. Those are some examples of little foxes. Those of you that are married, the job of catching these little foxes takes teamwork. It does. And what I'm learning as I look, think through, and work through marriage, oh, I remember. I remember Word of Life Bible Institute in the gym. I remember Word of Life Florida. And this beautiful young lady walks out on the basketball court and she can make it. I'll never forget that. But what I've learned is marriage is work. And when I was over there 22 years ago and I said, I do, I had no idea. I thought, man, she's beautiful. This is going to be incredible. We're going to live happily ever after. We are living happily ever after. Because at that stage in our relationship, we had fallen in love. We knew what love looked like. And now, as we go along in our relationship, it is transitioned to this, the broadening of our love. The opportunity where when struggles come into life, what does that look like? I remember us going away, and, um, and we're going to transition over now to chapter 5, and so we're going to, um, this couple now is married. Uh, they're back from their honeymoon, and they're in chapter 5 in verse 2, and, and they're going to give us an example of, of, a, of a trouble that they have. I don't know, you know exactly, I can't ex- tell you exactly what it is, but This husband and wife are going to have a conflict. Pick it up in verse 2 of chapter 5. I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, my lover is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. My head is drenched with dew. My hair is with the dampness of the night. I've taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I've washed my feet. Must I soil them again? My lover thrust his hand through the latch of the opening. My heart began to pour for him. I rose to open for my lover with my hands dipped with myrrh. My fingers were flowing with 
with myrrh and the handles on the lock. I opened for my lover, but my lover was not there. He was gone. My heart sank as his departure. I looked for him, but I could not find him. I called for him, but I could not. He did not answer. So if I understand right, I won't take a bullet for this, but I think she's having a dream. And her lover is there knocking on the door. And for whatever reason, she says, you know what? In the dream, I'm not opening the door. Maybe as as I think about life, it might have been one of the first selfish acts of a spouse might be saying, you know what? I'm just not interested. He can stand out there and knock all day long, but I'm I'm not opening the door. So there's conflict. There's a struggle. There's a sign of selfishness. I'm not going to jump up and down and go crazy over that, but what I see as I look through the book of Song of Solomon, I see that struggles broaden love. As I was thinking about this, I want to show you um, this picture. And the bottom says, I'm worried about my wife, doctor. She hasn't contradicted me all day. Some of us have been married for a while understand what that means. Those of you who are newlyweds, you'll understand. And so as I, as I go back to this, this slide, struggles will deepen your relationship. It's natural to fall in love. But in the society that we live in, what's interesting is, It's like we want to stay in this middle school concept. Oh, yeah, I have this feeling I love you. But God wants us to broaden that love past the feeling. And God's going to bring things in relationships, struggles, to help help you broaden your relationship. It's interesting as I was reading through, uh, again, David Jeremiah, he puts it kind of this way. God will use crisis to bring you together, not drive you apart. Learn to love your spouse for who he or she is. You know what's normal? For you want to change your spouse. Well, if you just do it my way, well, but my brain doesn't work the way your brain works. But if you would value me for who I am, then I can help value you for who you are. Be intentional about married life, about dating. Turn resentment into resolve. All of us have, if you've been married for a long time, you've, or any time frame, you, have, you can have resentment. But normally what would happen when you were in middle school, if that girl did something that you didn't like, you just changed her for another girl. You said, hey, fool on you, I'll find somebody better than you. Because you didn't, you didn't treat me right, or you didn't do this. But in a relationship, when there's a tendency to act like you were in middle school and build up a wall of resentment, God is going to say to you, hey, by the way, you need to turn that resentment into resolve. Be proactive. Take actions to nurture and maintain the precious gift of marriage. Take actions to nurture and maintain the precious gift of marriage. 
I don't know if you remember this, but those of you that were married, you had a wedding day. And there was a ceremony. And it probably was the only time that you ever stood in front of any people and made any public declaration about your love. And there were witnesses there. And I'm sure if you're like like my wedding, there were certain things that you said, well, I'll love you and I'll cherish you until death do us part. But when I was in middle school, I didn't understand what death do us part meant. I understood what it was to live for myself. So I want us just to remind ourselves today that marriage is a gift. And I want to remind us just nicely, you picked her, I didn't. God gave you a gift. You cherish it. God gave you a spouse. You deepen your love with your spouse. You find the things that they do well and you praise them. Don't fix them. Because you can't fix them. You don't have enough power to fix them. Because you didn't make them. God did. And so as we've gathered as a family, and I just want to put this, these two words back on here, beginning of love and the broadening of love. And I know some of you are in here, you know, uh, are dating and some of you are not dating. And so as I think about the younger generation, choose wisely. Don't date a middle school student, no matter if they're 25 years of age. Don't date a middle school student that's 35 years of age or 40, or 50, or 60. And I love middle school students. I'm not being mean to middle school students. Okay, I'm involved with the 6th through 8th grade boys. I like middle school students. One thing I like about middle school students, they'll just tell you flat out what they're thinking. They don't care. Okay? But it's sad when I meet a 40-year-old man that's acting like a middle school student. And so guys that are in this room, If God gives you a gift, care for it. Ladies, if you've been given a gift, care for it. Because the beginnings of love, be careful, be a worker. Be careful to show what you show. Catch the foxes. Broadening of love, struggles will arise. Most likely because of your selfishness. And the question will be, will you come back to the commitment that you made in front of witnesses with the help of God to confront your selfishness because you can't fix yourself. Will you come back to God and say, God, I'm being selfish. Will you help me today? Because at the end of the day, what normally happens in a session like this where we have the Word of God open in front of us, it's really easy to think about your spouse. It's easy to think about the neighbor and their marriage. I want you to think about your relationship this morning. Nobody else. Don't deflect this. You think about it. You evaluate, evaluate yourself. And in saying that, as you come back to the cross and you come back to, to a word that we wrote um, in Psalm, as you think about Psalm 119, as you go back to that passage of Scripture this morning, this is what we know is true. 
that your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. And your faithfulness, Lord, continues through all generations. You establish the earth, and it endures. And so if you're in a marriage, you need Jesus. If you're in a relationship, you need Jesus, because if you don't have Jesus, you're living for yourself. If you don't wake up in the morning and say, Jesus, would you help me love so-and-so? Then you're going to love them like a middle school student for yourself. If you don't wake up in the morning and say, Father, in verse 92 of Psalm 119, in your law, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my afflictions. I was thinking about that. And a couple of years ago, I was, you know, you hear about midlife crisis and you hear about people talk about it. And I started, I started to think, and she knows that I love her, but I was thinking, do I, do I want to stay married for the rest of my life to one person? Is that really what I want to do? So I started saying, God, is that, is that what you want me from me? Well, but it'll just be convenient. Let's just go find somebody else and we'll be all right. I'll be happy. And so what's been interesting over the years, and this has been a couple years ago, I just said, you know, Lord, I'm going to trust your precepts. And I'm going to stay faithful to her. Because, God, you gave me a gift. And you knew when she walked past me at Word of Life Bible Institute in the gym, you knew I was going to say I do. And you knew that she was going to take me thrift shopping. And I didn't even know what that was. And you knew that eventually I would kind of like that. But I'd never done that. And you knew when she walked past me and I was thinking, man, this woman's beautiful. She's going to want me to run races. You knew that. And you knew because I love being with her. I'd run a race. Because that's what Bob Patterson, my dad, would have done for my mom. Because he loved Jesus. And because I love Jesus, I want to stay faithful to the precepts. And so really what's been happening over these last years since I went through that road has been this, Psalm 51. Because I know as we sit in here, there's not one of us in here that hasn't sinned this week. There's not one of us. But I'm just wondering how many of us are sitting in here and saying, you know what, Father, create in me a pure heart, O oh God. See, David had sinned. He had messed it up. But he stopped and he came back and said, God, create a pure heart in me. God, renew a steadfast spirit within me. When all the stuff is going around, when all the opportunities for us to jump and be involved in sin, and nobody would know. God created me a pure heart. God created me a steadfastness that until I take my last breath, she's the number one priority of my life. And then God has given me two children and then a church family. That's how it works. God, make those things the priority of my life. 
You make me steadfast. So this morning, it's really not about marriage. It's really not about the Song of Solomon. It's about your heart this morning. Is there a desire in it for to be pure? Is there permission for you to say, God, you create this. God, you make my heart pure. Because you can't do it. God, you make me steadfast. I don't know. But my prayer for you is you have a maker. He formed your heart before time began. Your life was in his hands. He knows your name. He knows your every thought. He sees each tear that falls. And he hears you when you call. Will you call? Will you ask him for help? Will you say to him, go ahead, create that clean heart. I give you this. God, I give you this sin. Would you create a clean heart in my heart? Let's pray. Father, thank you for allowing us to gather around your word. And Father, I know there's a lot of other stuff in the Song of Solomon. But Father, as I think about a husband and wife relationship for a lifetime, Father, I think about people falling in love and I think about our broadening of our love. I think that you know me. And you know every single one sitting in this room. I don't want you to be afraid of that. Don't be afraid that he knows. He's not like your earthly parents when they know they get frustrated with you. That's not who God is. He runs to you, not away from you. He accepts you for who you are. No matter what you've done this week, he knows your name. And he longs to create a a pure heart in you, but you've got to give him permission. So, Father, as you look amongst our family, thank you that you know our names. Thank you that you are our creator. Thank you that you are faithful. Thank you for your precepts. But, God, create in us a pure heart. God, create in us a steadfast spirit. God, create in our family marriages that love each other. God, create in our family marriages that we sit across from the table and we marry 25, 35, 45, 55 years and we still like looking in each other's eyes because of what you've done in our relationship, what you've done in our own personal heart and what you've done in our relationship. I don't know what the Holy Spirit's saying to you, and it's okay, but whatever he's saying, surrender, please. If you're here this morning and you'd like to pray with somebody, we have the What's Next ministry there in the back. Father, thank you for allowing us to come and meet with you. Father, use your word to no longer allow us to act like we're middle school students in the relationships that you give us. Marriage, dating, friendships, 
God grows up because you have created pure hearts in us through your word and through the work of the Holy Spirit. It's in your name I pray. Amen.